Well, we're going to be over as to begin with in Second Kings chapter four. We all know that President, uh, ex-president George W. Bush is back in Texas now, but I heard a story of a man who saw him in an airport, and he was sitting there watching the former president, and uh, he saw the former president take note of this person that was across the way. And this person was um, dressed in a really long, flowing white gown. They had long, white, flowing hair, long, white, flowing beard. He was holding a staff in one hand and two stone tablets in the other. And well, you know, GW, he knows his Bible. And so he was pretty sure this was Moses. And so he went on up to Moses in the airport and he says, Moses, is that you? And Moses didn't give him the time of day. He's looking around. He's not even acknowledging GW being there. And so George Bush came up to him again. He goes, Moses, he got trying to get in his, way, in his way, so he had to see him. But he just turned another direction, and he wouldn't, wouldn't even acknowledge him. Wouldn't even say hi, nothing. Wouldn't even look at him. So finally, he tugged in his robe, and he got it so that he had to look at him. And he says, Moses, it's George W. And, and Moses looked at him, and he goes, I know who you are. And he says, well, why won't you talk to me? He said, the last time I talked to a bush, I wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, Moses comes up in our story today, so we thought you might enjoy that one. We started a new series last week, Give God Something to Work With. Give God Something to Work With. That very often, we are not completing the task that's at hand to get God to move on our behalf or to do something on our behalf, and we are just making prayers or we're doing things, but we're not giving God anything to work with. So last week, we looked at that you have to have faith in God and His plan, and whatever you put your hand to will be blessed. We looked at the Scriptures that talked about that. There's actually several places. We only looked at one last week. We'll look at some more as time goes on. Just putting your hand to something will not cause you to be blessed. Sometimes we get that impression. Whatever I put my hand to will be blessed. But we saw that there were some conditions in this and that there's some things that you need to do. We looked at some of the non-factors that are involved or not involved in getting something from God or getting God to move on things. And we looked at Israel for that as they faced going into the promised land the first time. Boldness in fleeing instead of pursuing. You can be bold, but you may be fleeing something instead of pursuing something. They were bold, but they were fleeing going into the promised land to go back into the wilderness and head home to Egypt. They were bold in that, but they were fleeing something. They were not pursuing something. Then the next day they decided to have a change of heart. And they decided, no, we're going to go into the promised land and we're going to take it. And so they went uh, in there and they were bold in going into the promised land, but they were fleeing the wilderness because God had said, you're going to go in the wilderness now for 40 years. So boldness and fleeing instead of pursuing that will not help you give God something to work with. Second thing we saw was obedience born of fear, necessity, obligation, or remorse will not give God anything to work with. He can work with obedience, but not when it's out of fear, necessity, obligation, or remorse. We looked at Israel with some of those things. Effort apart from faith, God cannot bless. Effort apart from faith, God cannot bless. Understand that Israelites put a lot of effort into going into the wilderness and trying to take it that first time on their own. But effort, God cannot bless. So we can put a whole lot of effort in it and claim the scripture, God will bless the work of my hands. And if we're not doing it right, God cannot bless the effort. We may be obeying what God said, but if we did it out of fear, necessity, obligation, or remorse, it's not going to help us. And we may be bold in what we're doing, but if we're just fleeing instead of pursuing, it is not going to help us. We ended up last week looking at don't give God what you can give him what he asks. We saw that with Abel and Cain, the story with them. Don't give God what you can. Give Him what He asks for. God's plan is often difficult, challenging, and faith-stretching. When God gives you a plan, it is going to be difficult, it's going to be challenging, and it's going to stretch your faith. But it's also one that He can bless. Over here in 2 Kings chapter 4, we're going to spend most of our time on this story. We have five examples to look at. But we're going to spend most of our time on this. As I was looking over things, it seems it's been a little over 10 years since we actually covered this story. So it's good to go back and take a look at it. We've referred to this story often, but it's been a while since we just focused on it. 
In 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditors coming to take my two sons to be a slave. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in a house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. When you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all the all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons were brought the vessels to her. Who brought the vessels to her? She poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. And she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. Well, we see when this woman came to the prophet, she does not qualify why this should be done based on her own actions. She does it based on another's, that of her husband. Very often we ought to learn from that. We are not going to God qualified on our own actions. We go to God qualified on the actions of another, which is Jesus Christ. Next thing we saw that she was motivated. How many of y'all know that she was motivated? If you've got a creditor to come and taking your two sons away, that can give you some motivation. She's basically saying if things don't work out here, lives are going to be changed for the worse. Now, consequences that hit home seem to motivate us the most. Don't you find that? Any consequences that hit you where you live, the people that you know, situations you're involved with, they're the ones that motivate you the most. You can get motivated when a brother or a sister is having, a tr- having some problems and having some trouble. You can get motivated to help, but you can get real motivated when it comes home. And that's what it was. This lady was motivated. This, this thing came home. Her sons were going to go away. So she was qualified. She was motivated. And third, she was prepared. She was prepared. She didn't know she was prepared, but she was prepared. The question was, what do you have in the house? Now, I think the, the question here that she, and we're going to get into this in just a little bit, but just take note of the question, how she answered it. All we have in the house is oil. How many of y'all think she might have a chair? How many of y'all think she might have a bed? Maybe a broom. You think she has some other stuff in there besides just oil? Or you think you walk into the house and all there is is the joy oil? We'll get into more of what that was, why that was singled out in just a little bit. But what we see is that God uses what we have. How many of you are facing situations, whether they hit it close to home or you know people around, and you're facing it, and you can think of all kinds of ways to solve that problem with things you don't have. Anybody? <laughs> it's real easy to solve a problem with stuff you don't have. What's hard is solving it with what you do have. This is the thing that our government is facing right now. Solve the problems with what you have. Well, they don't have, and so they are trying to solve problems with what they don't have, which is why we fall into more than a trillion dollars for the debt per year. You've got to solve problems with what you have. I've talked about this before, but one of my favorite movies is the Apollo 13. My favorite scene in the movie is when they come to, they bring all the engineers into the room and they dump all this stuff out on the table. And they said, you've got to get this round thing over here to fit into this square spot over here using what's here. And not a single one of them complained. They all just started moving stuff around, getting stuff out, saying, all right, what can you do? And it took them a little while, but we found out what it is. And it had to help them get the CO2 filter out because CO2 will kill you. And the CO2 was building up in, the, in there and they couldn't get the filter to, to work. And so they had to, uh, to fix that. And so these guys, they don't say, you know, we, if we just had, no, you don't have that. They're up in space. We can't get it to them. FedEx doesn't go there. We have to deal with what we have. You've got to deal with what you have. And what is neat is God works with what you have. You don't have to go looking outside. You don't have to go find it. But see, this is a, a distraction of the enemy. If I can just have this, I could solve this. And the enemy wants you to get you to focus on what you don't have because you don't have it. Therefore, you're going to sit back and you're going to wait. Well, I guess as soon as I get that, I'll fix it. Or we make some kind of a prayer. God, I need this so I can do that. What sometimes takes more faith is to get done what you need to get done with what you have. 
And so she says, all I got in the house is this jar of oil. Jar of oil. That's all I got. Elisha says, all right, we can work with that. God uses what we have. She had oil, but she needed the vessels from others. She didn't have vessels in the house. Well, most of us don't carry a whole lot of vessels. We have, uh, you know, a couple. But he's talking about some vessels. He wants some, like, empty wine crates or something like that. He wants some big vessels. Go out there and get something big. We're not talking about little Tupperware things. We want some, we want some vessels. And so they, she went out and they went to all the neighbors. I need a vessel. What, what do you got? I need big stuff. Got a big trash can. You got a big vase. You got a, whatever you got. I need it, it big, bigger the better. I'll bring it back, but I just need it right now. And she went on around and she asked all these people, what do you need it for? God told me I needed it. What are you going to do? Well, apparently I'm going to pour some oil into the vessel. How much oil you got? About, about that much. Now, that wouldn't sound very good to everybody, but she was, she's motivated. I'm going to lose my two boys if I don't do something. And you can get motivated. A lot of our problem is just motivation. If we could just get more motivated to do something, you know, we'd, we'd be all right. You know, you all joined the gym sometimes in the past, and you were motivated. But what happened after a few weeks? The motivation kind of went away, didn't it? And then eventually you're paying for a gym membership you're not even using, so eventually you stop paying for the gym membership. You lost your motivation. The gym was still there. The equipment was still there. You could still go and use it, but you weren't motivated. A lot of our problem is just motivation. We are not being motivated to use what we have. How many of you ever bought one of those gadgets off of the uh, infomercials on TV? And when you bought it, you were motivated. Oh, I know what I can do with that. I can do this and I can do that. And I can't wait for that to come because I'm going to take it apart. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to make this stuff. And I'm going to, you're all excited. And then you get out there and you try it one time and it didn't quite work. It didn't do it all by itself. You kind of were thinking it was going to do it all by itself. Just presto, bring it out and there's dinner. But it, it didn't work that way. It took a little bit of effort on your part and uh, you lost your motivation. And so, you know, we have a little spot in the basement that we take all those nice little gadgets and we put them on down there because someday I'm going to get motivated and I'm going to do that. Our problem is motivation. We have stuff to do. We're just not motivated. We've got to get ourselves going and to, and to be motivated. How many have ever read uh, after Stephen Covey? Ever read his uh, book, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People? He's, that's the only book I ever read of his. I know he has other ones, but I read that one. Very good book. Really enjoyed it. Uh, the planner I use actually takes excerpts from the book and it puts it over on the left side. And so I get to read little excerpts from the book every time when, the, when I open up the day's page. Get a little excerpts over here and little quotes over here. It's kind of fun. I, I enjoy that. But uh, he, try, he divides our life into four quadrants. Anybody never heard of the four quadrants? Four quadrants are this. Most people work out of what is urgent. And he tries to get people to move out of what is urgent and get into find out what is needed and get these things going before they are urgent. And if you put more of your time into these things that aren't urgent, uh, they're important, but they aren't urgent, and do it before they become urgent, you'll be doing better. And you know, it all sounds great and you can see it. It's just the motivation. Because we become motivated when something becomes important and urgent, but less motivated when it is just important and not urgent. But if you spend more of your time in there, you'll have less coming up into the urgent area. It's a good book if you didn't read it. It's a worthwhile read. And here's the fourth thing. She became satisfied. All the vessels were full. And apparently, if she had more vessels, that oil would have kept going. It's only when the jar of oil heard... There's no more vessels. Oh, we don't need to do anymore. And it stopped. All the need was met and they lived off the leftover. That's a pretty good uh, amount of oil there. Paid off everything that was done. Sons get to stay at home. They don't have to go off and be slaves. They probably like that. We haven't covered this for a while, but Elisha is actually a type of Jesus in there. He's a type of Jesus because first off, he follows Elijah. Jesus in the New Testament is going to follow the Elijah, which was John the Baptist. He came in that spirit of Elijah, was not Elijah, came in that spirit of Elijah. Then in the 
end times, the Elijah is going to show up. And then Jesus will come again after the Elijah makes an appearance. But John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, was not the Elijah, but came in the spirit of Elijah. And uh, Elijah came, or Elijah, Elisha came after Elijah. Most of Elisha's healings or miracles were healings. Jesus, most of Jesus' miracles were healings. Elijah was kind of a, he's kind of a loner. He's out by himself most of the time. Elisha was generally among the people, which is where Jesus was. It's also interesting to note that Elisha died sick and we get no explanation from it in the Word of God. But he died sick. Jesus took on the sickness. He became sickness for us so that we don't have to. So there's a few other things you can get into with the ministry of Elisha and Elijah, but that's enough for you here. But you see that this woman, she had a need. It's really easy to come and just say, well, God, I need this much money. I'm just going to pray and believe God for this much money and wait, you know, open up the mail and keep looking for that check to come. But God says, what do you have? He wants to work with stuff that you got. He wants to make your hand be blessed with what you have. So he's going to ask you some questions sometimes. Well, what do you have? Got to have something. What have you got? So here, when there is a need for something to be paid off, there's a need for money. The question is, what do you have? And the question is, what do you have that is of value? And she answers the question with what she has that is of value, which was oil. I wonder what, a, what would have happened if she said, well, I have a diamond ring. What would God have done with that? That'd be, that'd be for a really neat story. <laughs> but it wasn't that way. So we have to deal with the oil. But what do you have? God's going to ask you, what do you have? In Matthew or Mark chapter 6, verse 35, very familiar story to you. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? He's not asking how much money they have. He's not asking how much oil they have. He's not asking, asking how many changes of clothes, how many pairs of shoes they have. He's asking particularly, how much bread do you have? You've probably got some. How much is it? He says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. He didn't want an estimate. I want you to go out there amongst the crowd and I want you to find out how many loaves we got here. Because this is what we're working with. We're working with what we have here. We're not working with what's down in the city. We're not working with what you have at home. We're working with what do you have here. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Can you imagine having all those people around there? And you got five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. When he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, this just isn't enough for what we want to do. I need you to send some more bread. He didn't say that, did he? He said, blessed. He looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before them so they all ate. And the two fish they divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Of course, you've heard the numbers before. You count each one bringing their wife and then a couple of kids with each one. And that number gets pretty high. So five loaves and two fish they divided amongst them all. How many pieces do you have to cut two fish, two small fish into to divide it among 5,000 people? their wives, and their kids. <laughs> Pretty small. But they all ate and were filled. What did he work with? What they had. 
But he asked for it first, didn't he? He didn't just say, well, God's going to go out there and find out what we have and magically make it grow. No, he says, no, go out there and find out what we have and you bring it all up here. I want everybody to know what we have and God's using what we have. We have five loaves. We have two fish. Could you imagine if you're one of those groups? We want to feed you all and we're collecting some uh, bread and some fish to see what's going on and one of them may have been asking them, well, how much have you got so far? Well, right now we're up to three loaves and one fish, but, you know, we still got some people out there looking. Well, how about now? Well, now we got four loaves and, and one fish, but, you know, we still have more people out there looking. And when they all get done, five loaves and two, you have five loaves and two fish and you want us all to sit down and prepare for a meal. And that's what the master said. He's going to use what you have. This is the biggest problem we have with God using what we have. Whenever he asks us what we have, what we have is always smaller than what we need. But it's not just a little bit smaller. It's a lot smaller. It's huge in the difference in size. But God wants to work with what you have. If he asks you what you have, you ought to get excited because you ought to just know, oh, I I know where this question goes. (laughs) I know where this question leads to. Oh, let me go find out what I have. And you go find out what you have. When Israel came to the promised land, they looked at what they had and they saw what they had to do and they decided it is too great. They're giants. They're huge. We're little tiny grasshoppers in their sight. We got nothing. Mark chapter 8, verse 1. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have... Now continue with me three days and have nothing to eat. Well, that's pretty severe. Three days and nothing to eat. How many of you would have already gone home? But apparently they were so interested in learning the word and seeing what was going on that they stayed, even though they were hungry. You imagine them all talking about this? Well, we ought to get home. We've got to feed the kids. I know, but if we go home, we're going to miss something. And if I send them away hungry to their houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to them, He he set them also before them. So they ate and were filled. They took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000 and he sent them away. So you got the crowd from that little tiny bit of stuff. They fed everybody. They were all full. I don't know about you, but I can eat bread. I know some of you, you get that bread in the beginning of the meal and you go out to a restaurant. You don't want to eat the bread because it's going to spoil your, your appetite. I do not buy into that. I will eat the bread. I will eat more bread. I will eat more bread after that. And if they continue to delay for the meal coming there, I will ask for more bread. My family will verify. You will keep bringing me bread until you bring me my meal and Diet Coke. And I can consume a whole lot of bread and a whole lot of Diet Coke before the meal ever arrives. And uh, people don't tell me this anymore, but people used to say, you're never going to finish your dinner. But I usually finish my dinner and then other people's. When I want to, I can eat. I can out eat a whole lot of people. Not everybody, but I can out eat some people. It's just that, you know, I don't always eat three meals a day. But when I go out to eat, my daughter says Ocean City has an effect on me. When I go out there, I just really eat. I can consume an entire pizza pie. I have. And, um, you know, you... But bread, I mean, I, can, I don't know about all these people, but I can eat some bread. And those, that, that little bit that they got, those uh, seven loaves and some fish, I mean, that's appetizing. That's, right, that's the appetizer right there. That's, bring on the meal. Hmm. But they all took what they was there and they ate and were filled and fragments were collected. This was back before they had the inspiration of the doggy bags. We had that. They would all be taking doggy bags, collecting the fragments, and there would have been none left. 
So we ha- we're glad it happened back then because we have a better story. Where do we leave off at? Verse 9. We got all the way down to verse 9. 4,000 people fed. Both times, 5,000 fed, 4,000 fed. Both times, what does Jesus say? What do you have? Not what you can get. What do you have? Why is it all the time we go into prayer and we ask God for solutions to problems that we are facing? Why are we always hearing what we need to get? When the Word of God shows us, what do you have? It is so easy for us to get distracted and to look out at what other people have, what I don't have, what I could have that would make this easier. But you've got something. What do you have? What do you have? The temptation we put in your outline is to look at what I have in light of what I need and determine it to be inadequate. That's the temptation. That's what we face. Here's some other examples in the Word of God where people did this. Gideon's soldiers. God looked at his soldiers and said, you got too many. So they cut them back. And he says, you still got too many. And they cut them back. They cut them all the way back until he had 200 men to face a huge multitude of hundreds of thousands. 200 men. If you're Gideon, when you had 750, you're thinking, that's, that's too many? I'm thinking we didn't have enough. Gideon looked at his own strength. God came to him and said, mighty man of valor. <laughs> You've got to be looking at somebody else. <laughs> I'm the least of my family. My family's the least in our tribe, and our tribe is the least in Israel. You don't get any least than I am. David had 600 men. He's out there all by himself. Initially, nobody. And he says, what do I do? I need some people to help. They're hunting me down. God says, what have you got? Well, there's a couple of guys over there. He gets them. He goes and gets a couple more guys. Pretty soon, he keeps picking up guys. And he picked up the guys that no one else wanted. The No, no jobs. No future. That's what the society thought of them. And he brings them in. He's got 600. And out of that, we come with the 300 of guys who did feats that made that, that motivated the movie Rambo. Out of that, he had his 30 who surpassed Rambo. And then beyond that, he had the three. And the three were the inspiration, I'm, I'm pretty sure, for the Greek gods. They just were something else. You don't mess with these people. Because you came after these people with a whole legion of folks, they'd be saying, be like, the, if you saw that Star Trek movie, you know, I love that Star Trek movie. I love the bar scene. And Captain Kirk is in there, they're trying to get him recruited into the uh, Starfleet Academy. And he was picking a fight or, you know, just being obnoxious. And so six Starfleet cadets came on up and said, there's six of us and one of you. This is not going to be a fair fight. And he says, well, that's okay. You can go get some more guys if you want. <laughs> that's a great line. <laughs> he saw them as being inadequate, inferior. But see, too often we look at the numbers that are against us and we see ourselves as being inadequate and inferior. God says, what do you have? David had 600 men who became 600 of the most feared men of any battle that was there. And they would go out in raids and everybody would come home. And they'd kill off the enemies of God every time they would go. All of them. Jehoshaphat's army, when he went out to battle, smaller than the force against him, they put the praises up in front. What happened? Jonathan and his armor bearer, two guys, said, you know, why are we sitting around here waiting for the Philistines to do something? Let's, 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 start, a, let's start something up. He calls one down. You guys want to fight? And so they came up to fight and Jonathan's just knocking them off one by one by one by one. And his armor bearers over there helping clean up the mess. After he, he uh, slays them, he makes sure that they're dead. And then they go on to the next one. Just one after another. Started an entire victory over the Philistines because two guys decided, we're not outnumbered. Should we spend time on David and Goliath? Inadequate. Goliath looked at him and says, you come after me with a stick 
<laughs> David had a, a different view. You come after me with a sword and a spear, but I come after you with the name of God. We've got to change our outlook. We've got to change how we look at things. I am more than adequate to take on what it is that I face. And God is going to ask me the question, what do you have? Now, notice in this one, he's not asking what do you have as far as what is valuable because value didn't matter in the wilderness. There was no McDonald's. There was no Gennardi's supermarket to go to. You had what you had. That was it. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, they were picking up in the middle of uh, Moses' conversation with the bush. And we see another question that God asks. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. He said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. If you know anything about catching snakes, that's not what you usually go for. That's the bad, bad news. Who was that guy from uh, uh, the Outback? Who, uh, the, Stephen, um, Stephen Irwin? I remember one scene where he had a 50-foot-long green snake, and he had it by the tail. And that thing was getting madder and madder while he had it by the tail. And he's sweating bullets. And he's, you know, how he does his thing. You know, this thing whips around. It'll bite me and I'll be dead. <laughs> of course, he wasn't dead. But he just kept on going. But he had that sucker by the tail, 50 foot long. And if it tried to work, work its way around, he'd just maneuver it so that it, you know, forced the head to, to go up forward. Uh, I guess he knows how to handle snakes. If I grab the snake by the tail, <clears throat> that's uh, probably not a good thing. Because, uh, you know, a snake can, can, they can bring their whole body back around to where you are and bite you. You've got to hold on to the dangerous part. But you don't want to get that close to the head. But that's what you've got to do. You've got to grab hold of the head. But he grabbed it by the tail because God said, reach out and take it by the tail. Well, if he fled before, <laughs> I don't know what Moses is doing. Sometimes Moses just seems to do okay. And then other times you're scratching your head and said, really, Moses? <clears throat> and he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, you understand Egyptians like snakes. Whatever snake this was, it had to be particularly deadly because they mess with snakes all the time. They're not particularly impressed. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. He put his hand in his bosom. When he took it out, behold... His hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. Behold, it was restored like the other flesh. Then it will be if, you do not, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. So he's out there, Moses is, and he says, basically he's saying this, what do you have? So he put it this way, what do you have with you? Now Moses may have all kinds of cool toys Back at the ranch. I mean, he probably he may have brought some really neat things from Egypt. He uh, was successful in what he did, so he may have bought some pretty neat. He may have had the latest version of the iPad. He might have some super powerful computer that he could work with. He might have some, uh, who knows what he's got, but he might have some really cool toys back there. But God says, what's in your hand? What you got right here? I don't want you to go back there and get those things that you're used to playing with. I want you to, what do you have right now? I'm going to use what you don't think is even useful. Because you didn't come out here with anything real important. What do you got in your hand? You got a staff. Throw it down. And God used it. He had his hand. That I think he considered to be valuable. And he didn't know what God was going to do. He put it in his, uh, in his uh, clothing and pulled it back out. I don't think he liked the results. I, I don't know if I was Moses. I wouldn't like the results. <laughs> That would not be anything that I would be especially glad about. Well, he did these things with what he had. But we know that that staff continued to be used. When he came to cross over the, the Red Sea, what did he use? The staff. When he turned the 
Nile and all the fresh water in Egypt into blood, what did he use? When he called forth the frogs and the gnats, what did he use? When he called forth water out of the rock and struck the rock, what did he use? The staff. That staff was used a lot. That staff became very valuable. How many of you would like to have that staff right now? This is Moses' staff. Oh, yeah, he made that thing valuable, but it was something that no one saw as valuable. It's just a dead stick. So he kept using his staff. You don't have to get new stuff. God can use the stuff that you have. Whatever you got, God can use it. Now, I want you to notice something. We've mentioned this to you before, but God is, and it's hard for us to relate to this, but God is all-knowing. God knows everything. If there is anything out there to be known, God knows it. The downside to that is you never have an idea. If you're God, you have been around for all these, I mean, forever, and you have never had an idea. Never. Not once. Because he knows. When you get an idea, something pops in your head you didn't know. He could never have that happen. Because he's always known everything. Which means he came to this meeting with Moses knowing what he was going to do with the staff. He knew the plans that he had for the staff, but it's not revealed until Moses asks a question. How will they believe me? How will they believe who sent me? What's that in your hand? All the while, God has this plan for the staff, but it is not revealed to Moses until he asks. What that tells me is that we have a lot of staffs in our home, on our person, in our cars, in our businesses. We have got a whole lot of staffs, but they have no value because we haven't asked what to do. God already has the plan. He has the plan to use what we have. But He doesn't reveal the plan until we ask. I mean, why doesn't God just start off with the staff? You got staff? Hang on to that. It's going to be important. He doesn't do it that way. A couple other people. God said, I want you to take your most cherished possession. For Abraham, it was his homeland first. Wasn't that isn't your homeland kind of a cherished possession for you? He said, I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave your family to a place I'm going to tell you. And then after that, he said, I want you to give me your son as a sacrifice. I want you to take your, your son, your only son. I want you to go up in that mountain. I want you to sacrifice him. It wasn't good enough that Abraham made the trip. It wasn't good enough that he tied up his son and put him on the altar. It wasn't good enough that he prepared the fire wasn't good enough until he raised his hand with a knife ready to kill him and then God comes down and stops him that's one of our questions when we got up there how did you stop him I mean did you grab his hand did you put something in between I, I don't know doesn't really tell us it just says God stopped him and I'm sure when if God wants to stop you you're stopped there's there's no getting around it if God's going to stop you you're stopped it's just I mean uh, Lot's wife she got stopped God wants to stop you. You can be stopped. Pharaoh's army. God stopped them. Yeah, you don't, you don't necessarily usually want to be in that position. But this one was a good time to be in a position for God to stop you. Because you were doing what God asked. And God says, all right, you don't have to go any further. I just needed to know you were willing to do it. Because that opens the door for me to send my only son, whom I love. But Abraham was asked to give up his most cherished possession. The rich young ruler, we've looked at that story before, came to Jesus and said, all these things I have kept from my youth, what more do I lack? He was diligently pursuing God. Jesus took him seriously and gave him an offer he does not give to everybody. He says, go sell what you have. Give it to the poor. In other words, you have no ties to it anymore. And come follow me. He went away grieved. He wasn't ready to to do that. Peter, James, and John, the disciples, they all gave up things. They gave up their businesses. They gave up their income to follow after Jesus. Put in your outline, neither this nor the other questions is asked of everyone. 
The question that he asked of Abraham, he didn't ask of everybody. The question he asked of the rich young ruler, he didn't ask of everybody. In fact, any of these questions in these stories, you're going to find out he did not always ask people these things. We have the stories when he did. We're probably missing a few stories of other people that he asked, but we have some of them. I saw this uh, story in S.I. McMillan. He wrote a book, None of These Diseases. And he tells the story of a young woman who wanted to go to college. But as she was reading over the college application, her heart sank because the one, question, one of the questions on it was, are you a leader? She thought about it. And she thought, I need to be truthful. She wrote on the application, no, I am not a leader. And she mailed the application in. She really wanted to go to this college, but she was pretty sure that's going to seal her fate, that she is not going to go to the college anymore. And to her surprise, she received a letter from the college. And it read this way, Dear Applicant, A study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it's imperative to have at least one follower. (laughs) Sometimes the answer to the question doesn't mean we're done. Sometimes we feel like my answer to the question that God asked me is way inadequate. But God says, it's not inadequate. I can work with seven loaves, a couple of fishes. I can work with a staff. I can work with these things. What you got? I put this in your outline. Well, no, I didn't put it in your outline. I have it in mine. I wanted to put it in yours, but it was a little full. Just because you prayed doesn't mean you are done. Just because you prayed doesn't mean you are done. Let's look at these stories. When something, when something needed to be paid, he asked for something of value. Even though it didn't have a whole lot of value, he asked for something of value. When people needed to be fed, he asked for something edible. When Elijah needed to be fed, what did he ask for? What do you have? He didn't ask you had sofas and beds and other, what do you have? Well, I just got a little bit to make a cake and we're going to eat it and he asked for something edible. When there was something to be done, he asked for something to use. Generally, what he asked for was in the ballpark, at least, of what was needed. It just was woefully small, terribly inadequate. But God used it. And we see, from the, especially from the story of Gideon, God likes it when what he is using is terribly inadequate. He liked taking Israel, terribly inadequate force, into the promised land. He liked it. He liked dealing with people who were nobodies, like the disciples, and turning them into world changers. He likes it. The more inadequate the person, the thing, I think the more God smiles. I put this in your outline. There is great reward when we yield to give something specific God asks for. But first, you would have had to have been obedient in the general. What we mean by that is this. When God gives us a specific command, I want you to do this. What do you have in your hand? What is in the crowd? How much bread do you have? When he was asking specific questions, he was preparing to do a great miracle when he asked the question with whatever was found. If they had only found three loaves and one fish, God wouldn't say, oh, if only you had a few more loaves, we could have done something. But three and one, that's a little low. All right, everybody goes home hungry. God would have worked with three loaves and one fish. He would have worked with one loaf and a half a fish. It didn't matter. But it's so easy for us to get our eyes on the inadequacy of it. But when God asks for something specific of you, you've got to get yourself in a position to hear the question. Because if you are not obedient to God in the things He has told you to do generally, why would He give you something specific because you're not going to be obedient to it either. 
If you haven't demonstrated to him obedience in the general, why would God expect you to be obedient in the specific? And we know from the rest of the Word of God that he's always trying people, testing people. Let's see how you do on these. And how you do in this area, we're going to be pulling from some people out of this area to use in this area. But I need to see how you do in the general area so I can pull you out into the specific area. We read the stories. We love the stories of the Moseses and the Gideons and the Pauls and the Johns and all, all these. I mean, it's great stories. Oh, I want to be one of those. But have we answered the call on the general? When God has said, be obedient to my word, have we disregarded a lot of his word? If we disregarded a lot of his word, are we in a position for God to answer our question? We've got to be our, get ourselves into a position. We've got to be obedient on the general. We've got areas in, the, in places of finances, but we have not answered the general call to be a tither. Are we in a position to hear God do a miracle in our finances? If God has told us certain things we should do behavior-wise and we have not listened to those things, how can God take us, make us into something like a Moses when we haven't listened on the other areas? We've got to show God, God, I can listen. When you speak, I can hear. I've got to first of all put faith in the written word of God that he has given to all of us. Once I show, this is like elementary school. Get involved in the elementary school and graduate. When you graduate from elementary school, you can go on and move on to other things. How many of y'all know when you left elementary school and went on to junior high, things changed? No more recess. I mean, that was a bummer, wasn't it? <laughs> Do you remember that? No more, no more, no recess. What do you mean no recess? <laughs> study hall. What's study hall? We got to sit and study. We can't go out in the playground, play football. I mean, that was a bummer. But in elementary school, we got into one class and we stayed in that one class the whole time. One teacher. You get into junior high and now you start moving around to different classes. That's kind of cool. That was kind of fun. We like that. Then you get into senior high. And if you were fortunate enough to have eighth period study hall, guess what you got to do? Go home early. <laughs> Oh, this is cool. Oh, this is all right. And in fact, I don't, don't know if they do it now, but I know when I was going to school over in Upper Moreland, if you had lunch, you could leave the premises and go over to one of the fast food restaurants and get yourself a lunch and then come back. It's just up to you to make sure you got back because if you weren't back, they'd mark you as tardy. They'd make you mark you as and your parents would be getting a phone call. They didn't make it. So you had more, more privilege there. We'll see with more privilege comes more responsibility. And instead of handing, being handed your classes, you are now picking classes. I mean, I remember that in high school, senior high school, picking classes. Yeah, I picked some classes. I stayed away from English. And I picked science. I didn't take any extra math courses, but I took extra science courses because science was cool. It was fun. English was boring. I didn't need it. <laughs> right? And we get to pick stuff. I mean, that was great. Pick, I get to pick my own classes? Oh, man, this is great. And you go to college, you get to pick them again. But then you find out there's a little bit more complications thing because they don't offer all the classes all the time. And you've got to find out when one is available. And you've got to make sure that you are qualified. That when it becomes available, that you have taken the necessary courses you need before. So it takes... Planning, that takes responsibility. But no one calls home if you miss class. They don't care if you show up to class. All they care about is you got the test, you got the material you got to do, and you get the final grade. If you can do all that and you can do it without being in class, that's fine. So it was, it was different. It was good. But you see, the same thing is going on with God. But see, we want the privileges with God of high school while we stay in elementary school. You're not going to have that. You want to stay in elementary school and keep disobeying all the things that God says to do? 
It's going gonna, it's gonna to compromise your life. And God says, I have all kinds of plans for you. I have all kinds of things I want to do with you. I can't do it yet. Because you're still meddling around in this area. You're still doing this thing over here. I told you my words stay out of that. And you keep meddling in it. And you need to let it go. You let it go, I can start doing some things with you. But we don't always want to hear him on that. There is great reward when we do what he asks of us, not for what he has asked of others. You can go through the word and you can say, well, God told him to sell all he had and give it to the poor. So if I sell all I have and give it to the poor, no, you're not in his position. God didn't say that. To, Jesus didn't say that to everybody who came across. Naaman needed to be healed. He said, go wash yourself in the Jordan and you will be healed. You're not in the same place as Naaman. God told Naaman. He didn't tell you. He told Naaman. He asked Moses, what's that in your hand? Throw it down. You can go outside here and pick up a stick and throw it down all you want to. You can go over and hold it over the Schuylkill River too. You better have a boat. Or you're not getting to the other side. See, God asked the questions. We don't just come up with the answers. But when we truly go to God and we say, God, I got this problem. I got this situation. I got this money thing. I got this health thing. I got this thing over here. And then we ask God. And I've been obedient in the general things that he's saying. I'm getting more. I'm not saying that you're perfect, but you're getting more and more obedient. You're not disregarding the word of God. When God points out you need to change this over here, you change it. You don't disregard it. And you're getting yourself in a position. And God can say, all right, we can work with this. God does not need us to be perfect. Thank God for that. We didn't know us to be used. So we give you four things here. Four things to get us to that place where we see these folks get at. First off is position. Get yourself in a position. Do what God has said to do in the general sense. If God says, obey me in this, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt do this, Work your, do these things over here. If he says, love your neighbor, that means you have to love the neighbors you like. No, <laughs> we like it to be that way, wouldn't it? Because uh, we all have some neighbors that we'd rather not be loving a whole lot. No, that's that we can't, we can't pick and choose. I got to be willing. God, you told me to do that. I can do it. The power is in me. I got it. All right, we can do it. Get yourself in a position for God to be able to work with you. Because God can work with all sorts of stuff. Position. Number two is petition. Petition. Once you are in a position, make your petition of God. Ask God. God, I got a bill collector coming. And God may say, what do you got in the house? He may say that to you. And you may have an answer for him. Well, I got this in the house. Might be a eating thing going on. You need some food. And I'll say, what have you got in the house? Position, petition. Here's the third one. Perceive. You need to perceive what it is that God is saying for you to do. Once you are in a position and you make the petition, God is going to speak to you and you need to perceive what it is that he is saying. Because it does no good if God answers and you aren't listening, if you aren't paying attention, if you don't get the meaning of what he's trying to do. If you want a good example of someone not getting it, go over to Moses at the burning bush. He was not getting it. He was asking the question. He was, he was in a position. He made the petition, but he was not getting the perception part down. God was telling him something. I will work with you. And he says, you can't work with me. God says, I will work with you. You don't understand. You can't work with me. God says, I will work with you. Moses says, look, find somebody else. And that guy, God, a little angry. And you got a burning bush talking to you. And then he gets angry. You'd obey too. <laughs> so he obeyed and he went on and he did what was supposed to be done. But position, petition, perceive. The last one, perform. Whatever it is that God said to do, you need to do it. The argument, I'll tell you what, you, we, every single one of these situations we looked at, and even ones we didn't, you're just thinking about in your head, every single one of them, you can hear the people, but it's not enough. Seven loaves, two fishes, it's not enough. 
Five loaves, not enough. A staff, come on, God. These guys are coming after me with chariots and spears. And I have a staff. David went into battle with what? A slingshot. Some stones. Goliath thought, what am I, a dog? (laughs) What am I, a dog? You come after me with a stick? There is great reward when we do what he asks of us, not for what he has asked of others. What is God asking you? Whatever it is, you get yourself in a position, you make the request to, to God, you make the petition. Whatever it is that he's telling you to do, it's going to seem hard. It's going to seem inadequate. And it's going to be hard to get motivated because you're expecting something different. But here we have these examples in the Word of God. Give God something to work with. He wants to work for you. He wants to cause everything that you put your hand to to be successful. He wants that. But you've got to give Him something to work with. You can't sit around there and dream about stuff you don't have that God could use. If you haven't seen it, you ought to go home, rent Apollo 13, skip right over to that part in the movie where they dump all that stuff on the table and just watch that because that's you. This is what you have right here. Now, God can use it. I'd love to know what happened in that room, but I'll bet you there's a bunch of times that they were saying it won't work. And they're probably telling us it has to work. They're going to die if it doesn't work. And then they probably stay with it for a while and it won't work. Anybody remember the scenes from that movie on, the, on that? How many times did the guys were calling down? Who was the um, uh, Tom Hanks calling down? Hey, we're wondering if you got that solution on the CO2 yet. Not yet, but we are working on it. And they knew what that meant. We haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> we have no idea how to, how to fix that problem. And so they tried to stay positive. They didn't say, oh, you have no idea what we're going to do. They said, all right, well, as soon as you get it, we'll put it into place. Just be- staying beautifully optimistic. Be optimistic about your life. Be optimistic about what your God wants to do. You may be in all kinds of pickles, situations, problems, but God simply work with what you have. With some weeks before we've given you some assignments, I was thinking about giving you an assignment for this week too, but I thought it might be a little heavy. I was going to have you read through the entire Bible between now and next Sunday. And let me know if you can find a single time when God said what you have is not enough. Guess what the answer is? (laughs) So we just saved you all that time. God never said that. There's not a single person in the Bible who said, I have this problem. And God says, what do you have? Well, I have this. And God says, oh, man, if only you had a little bit more. We could have done something, but I'm afraid you're going to die. I'll see you soon. <laughs> no, he didn't, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. Get yourself in a position. Make the petition. Perceive what he says. And then go out and perform it. You can have the same results as these guys. Because God's, it's no different. Just a whole lot of times, folks, we don't put ourselves in a position or we just listen to what He said to other people. And we try and do that. What is God telling you? He wants whatever you have put your hand to to be successful. That's His goal. He wants to get you to that place. He's going to position you. So when you make that petition, you can perceive what's going on. And then you can go out and perform it. And you can take down some mighty, strong things. Think of Israel when they did finally go into the promised land. And they come up to the biggest, nastiest looking city. Huge walls. And what's God say? Well, we we don't have any of the uh, wall knocking down equipment. Uh, We don't have any bazookas. There's no tanks. Aircraft hasn't quite come around yet. We don't have that. Uh, We don't have any stealth technology to penetrate. God says, that's all right. We're going to work work with what you have here. Walk around the city. 
and God tore down the city by them doing what? Same story, different event. Rahab is inside the city. And she says, I want to be preserved. And the people say, they looked at what she had. What did she have? She had a scarlet scarf, piece of cloth, whatever it was. He says, tie this to the window and you'll be okay. What does a little piece of material have to do with her part of the wall not coming down? Nothing at all. You see, they obeyed. And what seems woefully inadequate is up to the task. What you have is all you need. Whatever it is you're facing, what you have is all you need as far as God is concerned. But will you let Him work with it the way you need to? Would you all stand up with me? As we pray this morning, there's a couple of things in particular to be praying for. As we said in the bulletin, Mercy is uh, her uncle was killed, uh, had a car accident, and uh, a number of days after that, he, uh, he had died, leaving his wife and the kids on their own. That can be a scary thing, kind of like that first story we saw, huh? If you want to have a hand in that, doesn't matter how inadequate it looks like, we're going to send them an offering over and let God uh, bless that. So this week, I know some of you weren't prepared, uh, but if, if you... Um, want to bring that next week or the week after, we want you to be able to, to do so, and we're going to send that over there to them to, to help them out with that. Uh, he was the main source of income, and so we want to, want to see that turn around. And I can be praying for my mom. She, uh, we all have some decisions to be doing uh, this week with uh, Dad and the place where he's at, so we need wisdom on those things. Uh, Mandy's mother is in the hospital. She's uh, in the area right now. She's over in Hahnemann, right? Yep. If you anyone would like to go on down there and visit her and encourage her, uh, Manny will have the information for you, and you can head on down that way and, and pay a visit. Uh, she is facing a very de- uh, very uh, severe case of cancer. And I'm sure you, many of you can relate to that. It can scare you. So if you want going down there and minister to her, encourage her. That's why it's so important that we get the Word of God sewn down into us when we are healthy and when we are well because it doesn't work so good to crash course it. So get yourselves ready. So God just needs to bring up that word that she has down on the inside of her. You all want to go on down there and help her out with that? That's, a, that's there and available to you. Ethel is at home today. She was a, a flu, sore throat, cough, and something else too. I forget what else the other, the other one was. But that's why she's, you know, it has to be an awful severe thing for her to stay home. She just doesn't... Uh, doesn't stay home very much. So she, uh, she stayed home for that. If anyone else has a prayer request or something that they want hands laid on them for or a prayer for, we're going to invite you to come on up here while we're praying over these other things, and we'll lay hands on you and pray for you what your situation is. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. In each of these situations, you can and have already worked miracles. We're not believing here for anything different than you haven't already done in the past. So we just thank you for that. We thank you for the help that you give Mercy's uncle's family, all the things that are going on with them, all the uncertainty, the sadness. We thank you, Father, that he's home and with you. But there's a lot of uncertainty for the family that's here. So we thank you for the help that you give her with the children. I thank you for people around her that are there to help. Father, we thank you for the part we can play in this as well. We pray also for mom and dad and the decisions that are going on in that situation. And Father, you just give wisdom. We can't always know the end from the beginning like you do, but you give us glimpses here and there, and sometimes we just need to listen to your voice and say, go this way. And we just need to hear that and trust in your direction. We thank you for the help that you give with that. Thank you, too, for Mandy's mom and the healing power of God that is available to us if only we believe. It doesn't matter how severe the disease, Jesus ministered to people who were on the verge of dying and they came right back. Thank you, Father, for the help that you give. Thank you for the word that's been sown that is bearing fruit and we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. 
also pray for Ethel. We just agree with our faith and with hers that healing is hers. Healing belongs to her. That she is rising up well even as we speak. And sickness and disease has no part with her. In the name of Jesus we pray. Father, for those of us that are here, I thank you that you help us in the situations that we face. Oh, how excited we ought to get when you ask us the question, what do you have? Because you're getting ready to use what we have to do something great. So we want to listen and we want to hear. The thing that you're asking for, we can just bypass right over. What do you mean walk around a city? (laughs) That can't be God. That's not it. What do you mean line up by the Red Sea? What do you mean bread's coming down from heaven? You've never seen that before. But you have ways that we don't know. You have abilities we haven't even seen. No matter what the situations are that we face, you are able to turn them around and deliver us. And we thank you for it. We choose to obey and to listen. All these stories we looked at, some of them were getting themselves out of jams, but some of them were moving on to the call of God. It's not all just all problems. Sometimes it's just moving on into the next area. I thank you for the help that you give us in it. We will listen. We will hear. We will put ourselves in a position that we can petition our God with full understanding and perception of what he says to do knowing that we have the ability to perform it. We thank you for the help that you give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.